When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we start this episode, we'd like to give you all a content warning that school shootings are mentioned briefly. This episode was recorded before the massacre at Robb Elementary School on May 24th, but we think our references to the subject are still timely within the episode. Even so, we would like to take this opportunity to mention a few ways to take action, especially if you live in the U.S. First, Victims First has organized a GoFundMe to help the families of the victims. We will have a link to this in our show notes. Second, we strongly believe that events like this can be prevented, at least in part, by stronger gun control laws in the U.S. One way to do this is contact your senators and urge them to pass the gun safety laws that have been sitting in their queue for years. We will include a link to a form letter written by Everytown, an organization that works to end gun violence of all kinds. Finally, we stand by all students taking action in the walkouts organized by Students Demand Action. You shouldn't have to protest in order to be safe in school, but we are so proud of you for making your voices heard and taking this action. We will also have the links for a number of organizations in our show notes for you to learn more about gun control laws in our country and what is being proposed. On that note, we hope you find some respite in this episode. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. This week, we're recapping Season 2, Episode 7, Like mother, like daughter. Advised to become more social at Chilton, Rory winds up in the most popular school clique, while Lorelai helps with a fundraising fashion show. What an episode. (laughs) I agree. I didn't know this one was so early in season two. Mm -hmm. But it's actually one of my favorites, I have to say, after watching. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree. It's like an episode of just kind of fun and games for... Rory and Lorelai like there's no super complicated drama or um, love interests or anything it's just fun right I mean, in fact for us didn't to watch see, yeah we didn't see Jess or Dean in this mm-hmm. episode either so yeah we haven't seen Dean for did we see him last week yeah he was the escort for the whole oh ball. yeah yeah it's all a yeah. blur <laughs> I know I was like I don't even remember what last week's episode was <laughs> Yeah, well, for people who don't know our production schedule, it can get a little confusing, you know, because we're recording this right now, but recently we've been thinking about, like, the episode we recorded weeks ago because we're posting about it, and it just came out a couple days ago. So it's all a little, I don't know. I guess we should, sometimes I feel like we make fun of our memories, but maybe we should give ourselves more credit because we're, like, bouncing a lot of content. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. The files just get misaligned. (laughs) (laughs) That's why our file organization is so important. (laughs) Anywho, that's probably not what you came to listen to. (laughs) Please tell us more about how you organize your box folder. (laughs) 
mentioning that did just like send me in a mental reel about how I need to reorganize some things I just put on box, mm. <laughs> which is a wonderful feeling to have. <laughs> Speaking of wonderful feelings, I know we have those when we do our talking fast segment. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you are first this week. Okay. Do you feel ready? I think so. Okay. Three, two, one, go. So both Rory and Lorelai are getting some flack about not being sociable enough with Chilton. Um, So Rory is told to just randomly sit with some people at lunch, and she ends up sitting next to the Puffs, um, who seem to accept her, which I think is kind of strange, just like off the bat. And they're a secret society, and Paris wants to join also. Meanwhile, Lorelai ends up joining the Booster Club, and they set up a fashion show, and Rory gets in trouble, and Lorelai and Emily dress up. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I feel like I got some, most of the things. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of surprised with myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did get most of the things. Okay, are you ready to pick up the slack? I suppose so. Okay. Ready? Go. Lorelai and Rory are critiqued for being loners, so they both have to kind of go out in the world. Rory, you know, gets involved in the secret society. She brings Paris along with her, too. Meanwhile, Lorelai has to get involved with the boosters, and she does a fashion show. She gets Emily to join her, and they walk down in fabulous matching outfits. Uh, Rory gets caught. Well, she's kidnapped, then she's caught. Then she defends herself epically. Um, and Luke did not end up dating that one lady Lorelai was jealous of. Oh, okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I do have to point out to our listeners, I just noticed that when we say loner, sometimes it can sound like boner. <laughs> so just a clarification. <laughs> That's not what we're saying, at least not most of the time. Yeah, not (laughs) right now. (laughs) Anyways, should we slow down and look more in depth at everything this very eventful episode? I wanted to say um, this cold open is at Luke Steiner and they're basically discussing, joking around about music, guilty pleasures, if Luke has dated anyone since Rachel, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But I just had this thought while I was watching the episode. What do you think the percentage is of the cold opens that start at a Friday night dinner or a Luke Steiner versus anything else? (laughs) You know, I feel like it's very high that it's one of those two things. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say like 75% open at either one of those Mm -hmm. and then you kind of get the it kind of sets the tone for the episode also like if it starts at a friday night dinner there's going to be some drama if it starts at luke's it'll be more like i don't know potentially more fun though that's also not always true (laughs) i know i just was like oh we should collect the data you know (laughs) and (laughs) test that theory and just get the numbers pulled like uh bachelor data does for the bachelor franchise it's like should we also Mm -hmm. you know double do double duty and also be like a data account for for gilmer girls but (laughs) i think we're busy enough yeah if i had the time it would help me to learn excel i do need to learn excel but Mm -hmm. 
maybe that's a project for later in the future and patreon perhaps <laughs> right let us know if you'd like us to run some numbers <laughs> yeah english majors are historically fantastic with numbers so yeah <laughs> as everybody knows mm-hmm. <laughs> um i don't have too much to say i think about this opening except that i think it's kind of weird that lorelei is all of a sudden talking about luke's dating life Mm -hmm. we haven't gotten anything like that from her really before except for i think in the very first episode of season one where she mentions that he's like where she asks rory like what do you think about luke um so it seems kind of out of the blue and definitely seems like a it's kind of a transparent setup for later things in the episode i thought agreed i think we haven't seen her It was just also interesting that she mentioned Rachel because we hadn't heard about Mm -hmm. Rachel in quite a long time. And that seemed like the last time Lorelai was really interested and involved in Luke's dating life. Um, I think if I'm being generous, perhaps we could read this as like her reeling from the Christopher kind of rejection that she experienced the episode previously. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, maybe she's subconsciously reigniting interest in the other like available bachelor (laughs) you know in her life Uh, but I agree it had a sense of like randomness that didn't feel as random by the end of the episode then it felt a little like orchestrated (laughs) Mm -hmm. I also hate the idea of guilty pleasures yes Um, just like be okay with things you like and I say this like I still actively use the phrase guilty pleasure just because sometimes it's the best descriptor for like a thing that you hate like you know like I like to watch the Twilight movies but I also hate to watch the Twilight movies (laughs) but that's a thing (laughs) yeah trying to describe the different kinds of pleasures Mm-hmm. is difficult and guilty pleasure can just be an easy term for that but I completely agree but I did like when Rory kept saying Barry Manilow and like laughing it's yeah it's hard to describe I have tried this before of like whenever I think there's a really good comedic moment in the show I find it difficult to like put to words but throughout this episode I felt like Rory and like Alexis Bledel her like comedic timing or her comedic like chemistry back and forth with Lauren Graham I felt like was very well done here more so than Mm -hmm. in other episodes I almost wondered if like as an actor she was becoming more comfortable being on like the show and her character because there was just like a very like effortless charm and cheerfulness so like a lot of her like dialogue and delivery of her lines that Maybe I'll try to like highlight moments that come up. But I was like, I feel like she's having fun and I was having fun watching. Yeah. Yeah, I think of one of those moments is actually something that happens right after the opening credits when they're at home getting ready for school and Lorelai is complaining about the car being broken and Rory is like packing her bag <laughs> and they're like kind of banter back and forth as Rory attempts to justify each of the like 10 million books she's bringing to school um only like two of which seem to be necessary for school yeah she was saying she's got like her bus books and her lunch books and she has like multiple options for each like if she feels like a novel or a short story 
I related to that a lot when I used to go to Kansas Mm -hmm. to visit family it's about a nine hour car ride and I would have a book bag packed as full as Rory's was because it was like god forbid I have a single minute that is not accounted for with reading material I'll be bored the instant I run out of a book (laughs) that's so true (laughs) I also find it I just like hearing what kinds of readers people are and Mm -hmm. Rory's like definitely a mood reader So she can have multiple books going at a time and then just pick one up depending on her mood. I'm a completionist reader. I read one book until it's done and then I move on to the next. Unless I'm also listening to an audio book, which will be a different thing. But Hmm. I think I'm more so a, a completionist reader as well. It's hard for me to read multiple things at once. Um, which is one reason it's hard to read for fun during the school Mm -hmm. semester, I find, when I have so much reading to do. Yeah. (laughs) And Rory is also like a, she says a a wide variety kind of reader too, which I think they made that choice consciously to make her like very impressive. (laughs) She's like a, like a creative, like genius or something. She's reading like Faulkner and Eudora Weltley, Gore Vidal, Edna St. Vincent Millay, like all of the things they're just naming here. Everything was like available for Rory's bookshelf, but I didn't nominate anything in this scene. But (laughs) the one thing she leaves out is her French book, which was funny. Yeah. (laughs) And strangely, it was also the thinnest book, so it could have fit in there. But I can't be mad at Rory for wanting to read all day long. I understand that. (laughs) Yeah. And that kind of leads us perfectly into something that is becomes the crux of the episode, which is once Rory gets to Chilton, we don't see any classes or anything, but we see her at during the lunch period and she like grabs all of her food and everything and goes and sits down at an empty table, puts her Walkman on, um, pretty old school with her headphones But she listens to music. I'm pretty sure she was listening to The Shins, which I do remember being pretty big at the time. And she starts reading rather than socializing, which is something I did a lot in high school. Yeah. And then this guidance counselor approaches her, which is notable because later on the guidance counselor says Rory is unapproachable. (laughs) And Rory is very startled by this. Rory does have reason to be worried after this because the guidance counselor is about to give her some uh, criticism about her like social behaviors and skills and habits at Chilton. Yeah, this is actually... The beginning of my Friday night dinner, which kind of extends throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. So the the guidance counselor says that they've noticed that she doesn't seem to have any friends at Chilton. This is also related specifically to the fact that the headmaster or people at Chilton will be writing her college recommendation letters. Mm-hmm. And they want her to be, or they want to you know, be able to say that, yeah, she's sociable, everybody likes her. And that's what I want to critique is the, the fact that likability is still, like, a determining factor in somebody's future, especially at this point. I think it's ridiculous. And I think it's also often a very sexist thing. I mean, we've we've seen this specifically in, like, the presidential election between Hillary Clinton and Trump, where Hillary Clinton was kind of deemed 
unlikable because she was more of a um, stoic woman, which is something that a man can be, but a woman can't be and still be likable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just am seeing that reflected here and also the fact that they're not taking into account Rory's outside life and school should be like yes it is a social activity as well you should be learning how to socialize but there are also so many other things and she also transferred in so they don't know the rest of her life it just really annoyed me and it might have also been slightly a personal thing because (laughs) as I've said many times my senior year of high school I moved to a new school and I was like anti-making any new friends Mm -hmm. so I would sit during my lunch period in the library and read and I did have a guidance counselor tell me like like bring me in and be like why aren't you making any friends and I'm like really why would I make any friends I'm gonna be here for a year less than I'm gonna be here for nine months why would I why would I do that I was super angry and so I that might also I might be projecting my personal situation but I think it still stands. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it makes complete sense to make the critique based on your observations of the show, but also your own personal experience as well. Because, like, you know how it feels to be Rory in this situation in a way, which is interesting. Yeah, I think it's a really valid critique, and I agree with pretty much all of that. What I like by the end of the episode... I enjoy that they give Rory the moment to say a lot of that Mm -hmm. and defend herself. So we'll get there. But really what I was thinking about by the end of the episode is just the different like socialization can look like a lot of different things and can take a lot of different forms. And this could be I could be wrong in saying that I feel like people benefit from socialization like there could be like holes to poke in that theory but what that looks like would vary radically between people like for some it Mm -hmm. might look like having friends at lunch you know others it could be like forums on the internet or at your hometown rather than at your school or like in a club versus at lunch like I don't know and it was just weird to me that Rory had like just joined the paper which seems to me every single afternoon I'm like wait but she she is socializing and she's like I talk to people in class like it's not like she's I don't know but ultimately it's like a really interesting conflict that the episode raises and I like how it's kind of like carried out and explored by the like the show is exploring it as well yeah I like how Lorelai responds to it like when Rory gets home from school and tells her what happened and Lorelai's angry that they're making Rory doubt who she is. And I think that that was a really great way of saying it because um, Rory, she is <laughs> she is a bookworm. That's where she finds pleasure. And it's not like she was sitting there at lunch, like glowering, being angry that she's not included or like looking like she's having a bad emotional time like she was happy she was perfectly she happy was peaceful so I like that Lorelai stood up for her and like voiced that and we've definitely seen Lorelai try to like push her into the socialization like you and I kind of mm-hmm. took similar yet also opposite sides when it was about the concert and making friends you know with Madeline and Louise in Paris and in that moment Lorelai was pretty pushy uh but here Lorelai maybe she learned from that like 
Lorelai is clearly the person who would talk to everyone at lunch, but like she knows Rory. And I really liked that she took her side on this one and was just like, you should be you. And I'm going to go yell at Charleston. I haven't done that in a while. (laughs) Yeah, which of course goes well. I do want to point out before we get to that scene, there's a classic Kirk scene here when Mm. they're back at home and he's been supposedly fixing Lorelai's Jeep. I'm not sure why she trusted him with that (laughs) because he has no idea what he's doing. And he also chimes in on the loner um, conversation saying that he he was somebody (laughs) who was considered a loner with a duffel bag at high school. And look, he's just fine. (laughs) And that's a a little bit of not the proof that they wanted. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. That moment was actually my Stars Hollow uh, moment. No, it's perfect because I just thought only in Stars Hollow would you just pick Kirk to fix your car of like all people. And he asked Lorelai at one point, like, what part is this? Like, that is not a question you want to hear from someone who is supposed to be fixing your car. And then I just love also that he joins in the debate because Rory has like Rory's impression of a loner is like a guy who's wearing outdated clothes, carrying a mysterious duffel bag. So when she's talking to Lorelai, she's like, I could be carrying a duffel bag at any moment. <laughs> and Kirk chimes in, like you said, and that's just not reassuring at all because I don't think Rory <laughs> wants to turn out like Kirk. Um, and I just thought it was a classically Stars Hollow moment. Mm-hmm. Even though Kirk, he has his place in the town. He's of a very course. active part of Stars Hollow. Right. It's just not everyone is suited to be a Kirk, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. So the next scene we get is Lorelai going in to talk with Headmaster Charleston. Mm-hmm. And every single time I write Charleston down, I accidentally write Chilton down at first. <laughs> like, they couldn't have picked a name that's slightly different. Um, but... She's there to defend Rory, and she gets off to a really good start, and then uh, Headmaster Charleston pulls out her file, mm-hmm. and it's uh, like a single page inside, and he's pointing out that Lorelai also hasn't been participating in anything um, as a Chilton parent, and he chastises her pretty successfully (laughs) towards the end she's leaving like she's a student who was just sent to the principal's office Mm -hmm. this was where i placed my friday night dinner critique actually so i think it's kind of like in relationship to the one that you made um where he is suggesting that like parent participation is vitally important to like children's education and success in school And she's kind of saying, like, you know, I'm busy, too. (laughs) Like, it's not only that she doesn't want to, but also that Lorelai is a busy person. And Charleston says, we're all busy. And I want to be like, are you, though? Like, the other parents with Chilton students, are they as busy as Lorelai? She's a single mother. She's working a lot, running a whole inn, like... She lives far away also. She doesn't live in town. There's so many factors that like make her have less time than other parents to be participating in these like superfluous activities. And it's like not everyone has the same 24 hours, you know, like Charleston likes probably likes to think. And so 
I guess I'm just thinking about like the socioeconomic context of his like suggestion that all parents should be able to be participating equally and with such an like a large amount of their time. Yeah, and we see that with the booster club later. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the women has just married into a family where it seems like her only role is to be this stepmom and spend money. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying that's what all the Chilton parents have to do. Plenty of them obviously have jobs, but yeah, they definitely have different demands on their time. And it's also just weird that that would like impact Rory's ability to go to Harvard in the future, like how much Lorelai can spend, how much time Lorelai can spend there. It's just, I don't really think it would, (laughs) which was the other annoying thing. Like, Part of me can understand if they're suggesting... I can't even speak today. Part of me understands if they're saying Rory should, like, make friends, join clubs, you know. Stuff like that could actually come in handy. But for Lorelai and running, like, a fashion show to raise money for their auditorium, I don't see how that really has an impact on Rory's success. And it feels more just like they're, like, we are of a certain echelon. We're a certain kind of school. This is how it's done here. We're all supposed to socialize and behave in a certain way and high society, yada, yada, yada. Um, But they're like suggesting it's for one thing when it's really not. Yeah, it's also interesting. Don't they have a whole bunch of donors who probably donate like hundreds of thousands of dollars every year? It's just such a weird thing for a school like this to be doing fundraisers. Yeah. Though they are like the the rich people version of fundraisers <laughs> so it's not like a fundraise fundraiser to go on a field trip to a museum or something which would happen at a normal high school <laughs> mm-hmm. when Lorelai leaves she is like she is chastised as I said and she kind of I guess agrees she starts looking through some of the different um organizations that she could join and that's where Rory finds her later on at home um, I have my Rory's bookshelf moment in here where they're talking more about the loner trope and they mention the matrix coat. Um, and I'm bringing this up for kind of a Friday night dinner type of reason. I don't want to ruin everybody's fun with this fun loner trope because I think it is funny. But the matrix coat reference is referring to um, the coats that the shooters at Columbine High School in Colorado wore Mm. in 1999, um, which was kind of, it wasn't the first school shooting, of course, but it's one of the more infamous ones and kind of started the trajectory that we're on now, which is frightening and terrifying with school shootings being kind of a normal thing which is uh, really terrible to say but I kind of wanted to bring this up as like a point when they take a fun joke and push it into kind of it being in bad taste Mm -hmm. so yeah I don't know it's not a fun Rory's bookshelf (laughs) and I do like as I said I think that overall in this episode the way that they're using the loner trope is funny but I thought at this point it was just like this kind of took it over the line to where you're kind of making light of 
school shootings and stuff like that and i i wasn't i wasn't quite there for it not to burst everybody's bubbles no that's not where i expected you to go with that but it is valid to voice (laughs) i think because yeah yeah. the next day we get a follow-up essentially you know lorelei and rory both make it their mission to be more social and i kind of liked this whole the bit basically of the episode is like they both are like reluctant and both are told to like go get involved at Chilton. I think it's kind of funny and it's fun to follow how it like track how it's going for both of them. And with Rory, you know, she follows the advice from the guidance counselor to go mix it up. And so she like she goes and picks a random table, which is, you know, bold of her. And she Mm -hmm. says that there's a bad draft where she sat before. Can I come sit here? I actually thought that was like a fairly good excuse because she's not saying like, Mm -hmm. I desperately want friends. Can I hang out with you? She's like, I would sit at my table, but the weather is bad over there. (laughs) I mean, she said it in a funny way because she like went on and on about it and they gave her a weird look. But at its root, I felt like that was a good way to like, just be like, hey, could I, you know, stay here temporarily? Uh, little does she know she has selected the table that houses a secret sorority exclusive one at Chilton, the Puffs. <laughs> Such a unique name. Mm-hmm. And we find this out from Paris as uh, Rory's sitting there. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Paris like walks by and is like takes a second look and it's hilarious. She like walks by again and is like, astounded that rory's sitting there (laughs) yeah that was a great comedic moment uh meanwhile in paris style she is very like angry and worked up she kind of uh, gets rory's attention out in the hallway after lunch and informs her about the puffs she's really worried that rory has been saying bad things about paris to them um and that you know we learn paris's mother and aunt were puffs it felt very much like five generations of gellers have gone to harvard you know it's like her whole family has been puffed apparently (laughs) she mentions that sandra day o'connor was a puff apparently and she's the one who decided that their table is where it is now which i felt was a funny reference i find it far-fetched but whatever (laughs) um but once again it's like the the motivation driving thing for Paris right here is her like really shaky relationship with her family name and like reputation and her future and she's like so just stressed stressed out about this and it's another like I think sympathetic moment for her where we start to like Mm -hmm. see her and Rory work together a bit more in this episode because Rory like she does sympathize with Paris, even if she doesn't outright say it here or later. But you can tell she feels bad for her. And we know Rory would never say anything bad about Paris, really, to them. Yeah. Yeah, she would never say something bad unprompted, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Which is what Paris assumes she's been doing. But later on, I guess the same day, so this must have been Friday... Um, We have a Friday night dinner. I feel like this episode is just going at a fast click because all the scenes are Mm -hmm. in a different place. (laughs) Yeah. But we have Friday night dinner. um, And Emily has, of course, heard about the uh, conversation between Headmaster Charleston and Lorelai. And she's 
chastising Lorelai again for not being more involved in Rory's school. It felt um, very much like, did you read the newsletter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that conversation exactly. that we covered earlier. Yeah. And Lorelai's like, of course, I've joined a club. I've joined the booster club. Just pulls a random <laughs> club out of a hat. <laughs> yeah. And Emily, like, plays off of this wonderfully by saying, oh, with the matching sweaters, mm-hmm. which mortifies Lorelai, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a fine scene. group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also liked the idea of having a barbecue inside for this mm-hmm. Friday night dinner. And am I remembering it incorrectly, but was Richard not there for this one? Correct. Okay. So we still haven't really had a follow-up on the argument that they'd yeah, been having the previous episode. Yeah. I also wanted to make a point um, that this episode, I noticed something. I mean, it's kind of weird to say, but... We've talked about how white the show is, right? And this episode actually featured three black actors, I noticed. One was the guidance counselor. The second was the girl who gets up and leaves the puffs table. That's how there's an open seat, so Rory goes over. So that's two black people at Chilton, which might be a record. (laughs) And then um, Emily's current uh, maid right now is also a black woman, which... I feel like I've noticed Emily almost always has like white domestic help and I very much think that has been her choice where she's one of those like upper society types that like keeps European people in her house (laughs) and so I don't know I found this to be an interesting moment of representation and it's something I noticed across the episode and but it's not like a victory by any means, but it's just so weird that it would stand out at all because it's such basic just roles that are filled by these actors. But like on this show, mm-hmm. it actually it, it actually does catch my eye because it is so white. Yeah, it's so rare, mm-hmm. which. Yeah, as we said, when we first brought this up, like to have. To have like white main characters is one thing, but to have almost no black secondary characters or people of color in secondary roles in general um of course we have michelle who is a regular but and lane like yeah but yeah but it become if if it wasn't a constant conscious choice at first it becomes one the more that you make it mm-hmm. and so yeah i think it is important to like point out when they seem to maybe have made a conscious choice to do something different for once. (laughs) An interesting Friday night dinner all around. (laughs) But one without drama. At least Mm -hmm. not real drama. (laughs) No. Just the only drama is that you're not supposed to eat barbecue outside, according to Emily, even though clearly that's usually where people (laughs) eat barbecue. (laughs) Yeah, very strange. (laughs) After this, the next scene that we see is at the Booster Club meeting. And I thought this was interesting. This is the first time we've really seen Lorelai interact a lot with um, a larger number of adult women, like, Mm -hmm. that aren't her friends. So I thought it was interesting to note the dynamic that kind of shows up. She is late to the meeting, of course, (laughs) but um, I didn't write down any of the Booster Club moms' names except for... Is it Eva? Ava, Ava, who's the leader? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then Aubrey 
is the young. She's like the only one. The rest are all like very waspy, kind of classic Chilton moms, but she's clearly like much younger, blonde. She's wearing a leather jacket. So I kind of thought her and Lorelai might hit it off. Um, she's got a very, you know, noticeable engagement ring. And <laughs> she's the one you mentioned before. Uh, she's just gotten married. And so she no longer works at Saks because they're like, Audrey works at Saks and she got us these clothes and she's like no I don't and like waves her ring around and can't remember her stepchildren's names I kind of like I kind of like it I like that kind of character I just imagine her interior life you know like she's just you know married up she's living good life maybe they'll get divorced and she'll be much better off in the world after that (laughs) yeah yeah I thought it was interesting like the types of women that they decided to show in this scene like the kind of CEO type woman with Ava, like the obvious leader of the group. And then with Aubrey, kind of like the gold digger type trope, (laughs) which comes up a lot more in later seasons in this show also. So they're working on figuring out how to do the fundraiser. They're going to do a fashion show, but they need a place and like a event coordinator Thankfully, Lorelai has both of those things, so she volunteers the in and also volunteers that she will coordinate, which, like, talk about just diving in headfirst to a, a new group and, like, putting a lot of pressure on yourself, but it is appreciated. <laughs> yeah, overall, I liked that they showed them to be really, like, inviting and excited when Lorelai offered her, like, ideas and her help and... They're also kind of like sarcastic and self-deprecating too. Like they were talking about how their last event was like a disaster. And I guess you might expect Chilton moms to be very like hoity-toity or full of themselves, stuffy. I don't know. But they were actually, I thought, kind of like funny and friendly to Lorelai. They're also gossipy, like, you know, but still, I thought it was fun, like, I thought it could have gone much worse. It actually went well for Lorelai. Yeah. Yeah, she actually did fit in, which Emily will note later on. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we do also get this one tidbit of information that's very important, which is Mm -hmm. the models for this fashion show are the moms of the Booster Club (laughs) themselves. I love it. Um, (laughs) So that's where we leave off this scene with Lorelai just kind of staring aghast at Ava, who just told her this. Mm -hmm. Um, The next scene is my Star's Hollow moment. Um, It's Lorelai and Rory walking through town, I guess, in the morning. I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they're, like putting up all the fall stuff for the town and we they had they've already had fall like foliage around town um i think i noticed it first in episode five when jess arrives <laughs> but and rory starts school but now they're like going full out there's like leaves falling through the air in front of them as they're walking there are pumpkins all over the place and it was just like when we talk about fall and Gilmore Girls, this is exactly what I picture. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's also some, like, as they're walking and chatting, there's some more good lines from Rory. Like, she's saying Lorelai's going to be a model, so she's teasing her, saying, maybe you'll get to date Leonardo DiCaprio now, and we could call you Waffle. <laughs> and it's just, 
so random, but really fun. And um, this kind of, I think the fact that Lorelai has discovered she needs to model now gives her the idea to play this like kind of prank or really kind of give a dose of like what goes around comes around you know like Emily's been giving her a hard time about being involved forever so now she's like okay it's karma and she calls Emily and tells her that Emily needs to be a model as well um to do her part to ensure Rory's future she kind of like guilts her into it the next scene is yet another lunch at Chilton. We get Rory sitting with the puffs again. So we see like it wasn't just a one-time thing. They like want her to be there. And earlier you mentioned you're like, you're not sure why they're so into Rory randomly. And I guess I found this here where they say like, you're so fascinating. And another girl compares her like, they're like fascinating like the monkey habitat. Like, which yeah. is such, it's like clearly they're like, she's, they're describing her as like a creature or a different species. Like, they're fascinated with her because she's so different and weird to them. Like, I feel like we've seen this in other shows that kind of, I don't know, maybe like Mean Girls would be another example where the outsider is like welcomed in to the inner circle of a clique because they have this like, fascination fascination with her that is not to be mistaken for like true friendship you know yeah it's kind of like a like an obsession with the exotic or something yeah bringing in somebody who's just gonna be like a entertainment value and potentially make you look cooler like if Rory is really funny or something then she could make the puffs look cooler overall, but... Right, or, like, it reinforces their superiority and coolness by having her there as a comparison, in a way. Yeah, that was such a weird way to describe <laughs> to describe it. But that should have also been a very strong red flag, I think, for Rory. Right. And another girl says nepotism makes the world go round. <laughs> yeah. Another yeah. red flag. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> Speaking of nepotism, though, Mm -hmm. Rory asks about the society and is immediately, like, told that she shouldn't talk about it. It's a secret society, which is just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they also, Paris is just, like, leaning against the wall behind their cafeteria table, reading, being super awkward and kind of creepy. And um, they call Paris too intense, which I think is another instance of the likability factor for women specifically. Not to say that Paris is not intense, because she definitely is. (laughs) I was definitely thinking about Paris earlier when you were talking about likability and Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like Paris will see in the show. Also, we can imagine, like, of her life outside the show probably experiences so many similar things that like people like Hillary Clinton experience because she's just so highly qualified capable of so many things yet likability is Mm -hmm. an issue for her (laughs) yeah like there's a a point at which drive and ambition Mm -hmm. which is admirable for a woman becomes too intense for a woman and like Paris is way beyond that line, um, which I think makes her a 
cool character. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's sexist that that line is there, you know, mm-hmm. exactly. marking the ambition that is acceptable or not. Yeah. Yeah. But Rory also decides that this is her moment to um, contradict that. She talks Paris up, <laughs> which is an interesting thing since she and Paris aren't friends yet. Um, They've had some, as we've marked, like some kind of bonding moments in the past. But I thought that this was cool that Rory's just, she didn't have to defend Paris here, even though Paris had asked. But I think I like that she did um, to bring Paris into the puffed fold. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you think she did, like, because she makes up this whole thing about Paris considering joining another society and this convinces them to like bring her in because they're like, oh, we can't like lose her to someone else because her family is fully puffed or whatever. But like Rory didn't have to like make up that lie, you know, she could have just been like, I don't think she's that intense and move on. But she really did go to bat for Paris here. But this whole season, they've been really antagonistic toward each other. So, I don't, like, why do you think she did that? Is it purely from their conversation earlier or, like, a lasting loyalty that she hasn't forgotten from when they bonded before? Is Rory just a good person? <laughs> I was kind of wondering whether it's Rory finds the puffs ridiculous mm-hmm. and this is a moment to kind of have fun with it. <laughs> like, to manipulate them a little bit. But I think also maybe she does just, like, even though she and Paris are antagonistic, they are familiar. And so maybe Rory also just wants to have a familiar face there. I, I don't I don't know. <laughs> what would you say? I think definitely along the lines of what you said, like, she doesn't take it seriously. And she sees Paris takes it so seriously. So she's like, well, why not try to get her in, I guess. But... Maybe the some I maybe something that like binds them is the shared ambition that they both have. Like I think the only other person Rory's met that is as obsessed with going to Harvard, like the only other person she's met is Paris, you know, like and they've shared so many, like Paris telling her about like you need to get in volunteering and clubs and stuff and whether that was good or bad, but, like, they're both, like, so driven of doing anything to get to Harvard. And if Rory hears, like, Paris thinks this is the way to get to Harvard, you make these, like, social connections in the puffs and you get on the Supreme Court, apparently, in Paris's, like, (laughs) argument, maybe that was one thing that convinced Rory to be, like, well, regardless of I feel about Paris, I can't, like, do something that would potentially prevent her from, like, our dream. Yeah, a conundrum, I guess. <laughs> but I like it either way. And they, like, scoot over and let Paris sit down with them. I, mm-hmm. It's just so interesting that, like, when we first met Paris, she was shown a, to us as, like, one of the popular girls with Madeline and Louise. And, like, the more that we learn about Paris, we realize she's not that. But somehow, like, Madeline and Louise are still that stereotype. But they're also still not part of this Puffs group. I don't know. It's just an interesting, like... Yeah. I feel like Madeline and Louise would be in the Puffs, for sure. Mm -hmm. Unless maybe they're in a rival sorority that we just haven't heard about. (laughs) I think, but I would, like... 
that's a story I would want to hear more about. Like how Madeline and Louise and Paris met and were friends. I feel like my headcanon would be that they were like very young, like they've been in mm-hmm. school together forever. And maybe there's like small class sizes and they were all friends maybe when they were all more similar. And then as they grew up, they became very different people, yet they're still like close because they've been close and yet, you know, they're not the same anymore. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe they're friends with Paris for the same reason that the Puffs are drawn to Rory, you know, like they find her weird she probably she know she like guides all of their homework and their group projects and stuff they can kind of like ride her coattails to success <laughs> yeah I like the vision of like five-year-old Paris and Madeline and Louise playing <laughs> mm-hmm. it's cute <laughs> yeah Paris would still be the one telling them what to do but <laughs> oh totally I guess that she did mention that she'd known Tristan forever, too. So that could be more evidence for the theory that they all have been in these, like, private schools <laughs> since the dawn of time, all really close and whatnot. Yeah, not meeting anybody else <laughs> for variation, which, again, hits with the Rory being a monkey in a habitat type of, like, character for them if they've totally. been in school with the same people since kindergarten. Anyways, um, but the next scene we get is at the inn, and they're getting ready for the fashion show, and Lorelai has called Luke to help fix the stage. She doesn't trust the guy who set up the stage because it's Why would you trust the guy who set up the stage? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, Luke shows up with his toolbox, Bert, Bert. Yeah, I did like that they kept that a running joke. Um, Emily arrives on the scene ready to model (laughs) and she like goes back and Lorelai goes back and they're looking to hear you know what they're well they're just waiting to be assigned their dresses to model and the worker tells them that they're together there are going to be a mother-daughter duo and I feel like their faces are priceless in this moment. And then Lorelai opens up her bag and she just gasps and says, oh my God. And we'll see what their outfits are later on. But I think Rory describes it best by saying Lorelai looks like Nancy Reagan in her outfit. <laughs> we also have a scene where Ava shows up and is watching Luke fix the stage and finds him attractive and asks Lorelai who this attractive manly man is I guess (laughs) and so that sets us up for something that'll happen later Mm -hmm. she says he's adorable and strong which are I mean I don't know if I would describe Luke as adorable but Ava did and she's like is he single what kind of women does he like she's definitely like from one glance she's already in she's like on the on the pr- on the prowl. <laughs> I guess she's the CEO yeah. type, right? I think we're supposed to think of her as like, she gets what she wants, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Kind of ruthless. So then we get the fashion show, which is great and is my gazebo moment. Just the whole fashion show, but especially when Lorelai and Emily come up. Yeah, when Lorelai and Emily come up is also my gazebo moment. I love this scene, but... Some details to note, the music playing is Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is a fantastic choice for this fashion show, I think. 
Yeah, it reminds me of my DDR days in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Going to play DDR after school, which is, for our younger listeners, Dance Dance Revolution is an arcade game. And a lot of the songs were music like girls just want to have fun and like David Bowie and stuff like that. I was more of the era of just dance on the Wii. But overall, these outfits that they're modeling are like, they're okay. They're not that bad, but they're pretty boring. You know, it's like, no offense to moms, but kind of like mom wear. (laughs) But like stuff Emily would wear, particularly, I think. Yeah, they felt like very 90s shoulder pad businesswoman type of looks to me, you know? Which was a bit odd considering in the booster club, none of those women were really wearing the clothes that Mm -hmm. look like what they're modeling at this point, yet they're like exciting and feeling like you can tell from the way they're walking down the runway, they're like feeling themselves. All of these like booster women are very excited to be modeling, uh, but the clothes are just like fine, I think. Yeah, Yeah. except for (laughs) Lorelai and Emily's outfits, which are awesome yes that's actually my Lorelai's closet as well okay they're out away oh they're like this bright red matching color the I mean the fantastic part is that they're matching coordinated outfits and I don't know if they've ever worn something that was matching but I bet Emily tried when Lorelai was a kid and Lorelai <laughs> definitely resisted you know <laughs> and like Emily has the pantsuit version where her pants are black and then the top is like a red blazer and Lorelai has the full red outfit that has the same kind of blazer and a skirt to match. And it totally looks like nothing Lorelai would wear, but everything Emily <laughs> would wear. And it's just fantastic. Chef's kiss. <laughs> yeah. And Emily's like hamming it up as she walks down the mm-hmm. uh, runway. And Lorelai is like at first trying to do the kind of pouty expressionless type of walk but Emily is cracking her up and at the very end they both do a twirl and like a pose and they look like they were having a blast and and Luke and Michelle are in the background cracking up and saving this for blackmail later on (laughs) yeah I just loved how like from the get-go Emily was like living for this moment And she was posing, she's dancing, and like you said, Lorelai, like, Emily's mood here is, like, infectious, and Lorelai catches on, and I think just what makes the moment sweet to me is to think about the very few times these two have ever had fun together, and this feels like a very fun moment, and also it's one of the few times that they're, like, in sync, like, they start to do the same Like, they twirl at the same time, then they walk down, and they look at each other, and they're like, let's do another pose. Like, they, (laughs) you know, it's just such a good moment, and it just makes me happy watching it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's very wholesome. Something that probably will never be brought up again, (laughs) because it was just good, (laughs) a good time. And I feel like sometimes when they have their good wholesome moments is immediately followed by something bad because like that's good tv right (laughs) but here we're just allowed to be like to have this moment you know and maybe it's fleeting but it's not followed up by anything that like undo like undoes it we do get uh like maybe an attempt 
from Emily for this. Um, after the fashion show is done, Emily and Lorelai are like sitting at a table and Emily just has kind of a smug look on her face as Lorelai is dealing with the rest of the fashion show stuff and like saying goodbye to people. And she gives kind of a biting remark about how well Lorelai seems to be fitting in in this world that she tried so hard to get out of. Um, and I feel like this is exactly what you're talking about. It could have been a moment to totally ruin the fun of this episode, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really go any further. So it just yeah. ends up being kind of like a, a bitter aftertaste. <laughs> I would like argue that I think the reason it didn't derail everything is because paired with like her smug and like I told you so attitude here is also like she's looking at Lorelai very warmly and you also get the sense Mm -hmm. that she is proud of Lorelai's success like they're all sitting there as the other boosters are like obsessing over Lorelai giving her all of these compliments and like so I think and So Emily kind of wants this moment to be about her in a way. Like I told you, you should get involved or how interesting that this life you fit in here when you ran away from it. But it's also kind of like acknowledging Lorelai's success as well. So I agree. It was like a two in one kind of like she could have just been like, good job. I'm so proud of you. But she's kind of like, I'm proud of you. And also, haha, I told you that this world would be good for you. Yeah, can't just leave it at the good part. <laughs> but I think even with that, it was still a fun night. And yeah, just no drama, low drama. Um, yes. Lorelai does see, she looks off and sees Ava and Luke talking together. And she seems to kind of come up with a whole bunch of ideas immediately in her head about what they're talking about, which we'll get to in a minute. Well, they saved all of the drama for Rory in this episode because uh, Lorelai comes home. Rory gets the pictures from her, laughs, says she looks like Nancy Reagan. And then Lorelai shares this information that um, Rory's going to be kidnapped. And, you know, some other no moms <laughs> might be worried about this, but Lorelai's cool. <laughs> and she says she should wear her good pajamas. Um and is basically completely okay with it. She says, like, Francie called her. And it's going to be this, like, you know, sort of initiation sort of ritual that, you know, we should expect mm-hmm. the Puffs to arrive to induct her into their society, I guess. <laughs> I thought a funny line yeah. from Rory was, she says, Mom, my kidnappers are here. And then Lorelai <laughs> says from upstairs, okay, have fun. And it's just so unique to them. You know, like if I'd said that to my mom, I think she would have had a different response. <laughs> yeah, this reminded me of like sanctioned nights of making trouble. Specifically, like when I grew up, I was, my parents had us like super involved in church and stuff. So sometimes the youth group would have like, uh, we at one point we were doing like a flamingoing uh, fundraiser where we'd go and put plastic flamingos on somebody's yard and then they'd pay us to move it to somebody else's yard and we'd use that money for fundraising and we would like sneak out after dark to do that and so it felt like that like kind of the fun and you're doing something you shouldn't but it's also like you don't have the guilt of knowing that you're 
actually going to get in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. And one reason Lorelai is okay with this, because, like, she thinks the thing that they shouldn't be doing is, you know, going out in the middle of the night, I think, to, like, get food or something. Mm-hmm. But really, Francine hasn't told the whole story, which is that they're going to break into Chilton, <laughs> which is just uh, a horrible idea. Before that, though, um, when they're leaving, after they've picked up Rory, Paris, poor Paris, her hair is a mess. She's in, like, regular pajamas, and she has pimple cream all over her face, like, looking exactly like I would if I was sleeping, you know? Mm-hmm. And she says, um, she's like, nothing in my life is fair. <laughs> she's so dejected, like, poor Paris, like, she got into the puffs, but, like, she doesn't have it as easy as Rory, who, like, got this full warning, and, like, I just felt so bad for her. Poor girl. Yeah. We, when we get to Chilton... <laughs> This ritual is the most ridiculous thing. They go right into Headmaster Charleston's office, and the ritual is they light a candle, and then each new girl has to pledge their devotion to the puffs, which is a huge red flag, and ring the bell that sits on Headmaster Charleston's desk, which has some legacy to it that I didn't write down. Um, Mm -hmm. But they have to say this this chant, which is, uh, I think I got it right, but correct me if I messed it up. It's P to start two Fs at the end and a U sitting in between. It's poetry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like, how can you possibly play with the weird Puff's name? Which I feel like it was just, must have been so much fun in the writing room. (laughs) Oh, totally. My Rory's bookshelf is in the moment right before they kind of get into Charleston's office because they have a key. And at this moment, Rory and Paris start a debate, basically. Rory is like, I don't want to go in there. I don't want to get in trouble. And it made me think of Paris and her at the concert where both of them were unwilling to, like, break the rules and leave like Madeline and Louise were. And so I felt like this testified to how desperate Paris was to join the puffs that she was willing she's like advocating for breaking the rules she's like well we just have to do it you know and as they're having this conversation there is a third girl who doesn't get any lines in this episode I don't think she had a name but I noticed her because she plays um she's in the nanny which is one of my favorite shows it started in 1993 and then it ended like shortly before Gilmore Girls I looked that up I don't just have that memorized (laughs) But it's a wonderful, like, sitcom starring Fran Drescher, Drescher, it's hard to say, where she's a nanny for this family, the Sheffields, and their youngest daughter is Grace, and she's played by Madeline Zima, who is the actress in this scene. So that's such a, like, convoluted way of saying that's my Rory's bookshelf because it made me think of The Nanny, which is a show I love. And uh, I was just like, oh, it's like that young girl, but she looks so much older. She's like a teen now. She's so young for the nanny, you know. Um, and we'll see her again at the end of the episode. She's she's kind of got like a prevalent role here. And I feel like it was probably one of her first roles after being on the nanny, which was a pretty like long running show, you know. It's weird that she didn't get any line, but she did have some great face play. (laughs) Yeah, she's like in the back looking very concerned, you know, Mm -hmm. um, as Rory and Paris are debating whether or not to go through with the ritual or not. Yeah, and then she gives like a kind of 
well, I give up type face and walks <laughs> in after Paris. But we get, I think, a great entrance from Charleston, surprise, surprise, who comes in right as Rory is about to ring the bell. Of course, right. And it's just like a, like, he's backlit from the office outside. He's like, pushes the doors wide open. And it's, I thought it was a great entrance. Very dramatic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And they're all in trouble, of course. I felt like he was kind of overreacting. Like when he was lecturing the group, you'd thought that they had like, I don't know, murdered someone in his office or something. I don't know. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's also something that must happen fairly often. Like you think this is a supposedly secret society, but it seems like also everybody knows about it. So I'm assuming he knows about it. It just seems un unlikely that he wouldn't know about this weird ritual too so maybe he was just like playing it up right it seems like something the school would kind of like look away from Mm -hmm. and allow to keep going on maybe he was the most upset that it was his office you know maybe he's very possessive of that like break into chilton in our auditorium it needs to be renovated anyways (laughs) you know that's why the boosters are raising money but not my office but uh the next moment was almost my gazebo moment because I thought it was awesome. But Rory, like, you know, she is witnessing this very dramatic lecturing from Charleston. And she's like, I've had it. And she, like, stands up and defends herself. And I was so proud of her. And it made me think a lot about what we've talked about, about um, Rory having confidence to stand up for herself. And I feel like she really succeeded in this moment here. Yeah, she, like, goes on about how she does have friends, just like she told them at the beginning. Like, she has Mm -hmm. friends back in Stars Hollow, and they just don't see it because she doesn't live there. Um, She also clarifies that she just sat at a random table, which, of course, is horrifying for Francie in the background. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And she was just doing what what Chilton wanted so that she could get into Harvard. Um, And Charleston does admit that perhaps... They may have misjudged on her account, which is great. <laughs> yeah. I like really like her line where she says, like, I have a life that you don't see, so you think it doesn't exist. I thought that was so well put. Yeah. Um, after Rory stands up for herself, the parents start to show up. And this is where I had my Lorelai's closet moment um, with Lorelai's jacket that she's wearing. And it's... One, so it's like a red corduroy, jet like jean jacket type of style with like a white faux fur lining. And I remember in season one, I nominated a very similar jacket for this, just it was dark blue instead of red. And I think at that point, I also said like, this is the blue version of Lorelai's iconic red um, jacket. So now we get the red version of it. And I'm pretty sure she wears it fairly often because I definitely recognize it as like a Lorelai staple. Very nice. Uh, While she's wearing this famous jacket, she teases Rory for getting in trouble for bell ringing of all things. (laughs) So Lorelai doesn't take this very seriously. Like she knows Rory did nothing wrong and she has her back once again. And that's really that of the... um, kidnapping episode really (laughs) Uh, 
the next scene is probably the next day or within a couple days where we see this follow-up on the Ava and Luke storyline that was not so subtly, you know, built up in the opening scene, then the scene at the fashion show, and now uh, we see Lorelai working up the, trying to, like, bring up in conversation essentially that Lorelai, I mean, Luke shouldn't date a Chilton mom, that they should keep their life separate and it would be weird for her. And... Luke reacts to this about as, you know, well as you might expect. (laughs) Yeah. I thought he was 100% justified in his reaction of this because this is, like, one of the most ridiculous requests. Like, you, my friend, who also, like, we're not best friends, we're just good friends, please don't date this person that I'm tangentially associated with because it'll make things awkward. It's like such a transparent jealousy. Yeah. <laughs> and Luke is just like, that's that's ridiculous. And he, he says, boy, you've got nerve. And then goes off <laughs> about how selfish Lorelai is. I thought he, he almost crossed the line here in this conversation. It reminded me a bit of Max Medina's uh, like outburst over Lorelai only thinking about herself. But... It did, like, kind of devolve into, like, I don't know, taking the piss out of each other. Maybe I've been watching too many British shows, but that's the only (laughs) way I can think of to say it. Like, they, Lorelai leaves, and she has kind of a tantrum, but then also, like, they both seem to realize that it's kind of ridiculous. Like, as she's leaving, you don't get the impression that she's leaving, and they're actually really angry at each other. You get the impression Mm -hmm. that she's like, wow, I just did something really stupid and I'm going to like try and maintain some sort of dignity, but this was really stupid and bye. (laughs) Yeah, it was an interesting argument. I feel like their levels of like worked up-ness were very matched. Like they work each Mm -hmm. other up um, and by the end... It's interesting because Luke is, you know, he's quite annoyed at Lorelai's audacity to get involved and, like, say who he can and can't date. But at the end, like, because she starts to walk away, but he says, like, by the way, she was just asking me for directions anyway. So, like, he was annoyed, but also then he shares the information that, like, Mm -hmm. no, that was nothing and I'm free to go on a date if you want. Though he doesn't say that last part. (laughs) Um, But then the funny part that kind of, like, resolves it in a way is that Lorelai makes fun of the directions that he gave Ava she's like nobody would take that route you know the correct route is to do the and then the classic joke where you say really detailed directions about like what roads and freeways to take and stuff like that so yeah things did like kind of resolve or the tension dissolved by Mm -hmm. the end of this scene and Luke was like smiling kind of a knowing smile again as she walked out yeah. Like, he, he knew that it was a jealousy thing. So I feel like that must have been, like, a little heart flutter moment for, for Luke. Yeah. It's, it was definite. it's like the, it's the trope of the two people who are, like, attracted to each other. And they get in arguments over nothing. And then they end up having sex or something like that. Like, I've been rewatching New Girl. And that's so much of, like, Jess and Nick in, like, season 
two before they get together you know they'll just be like arguing over nonsense things and then just start making out you know and that's a certain that's a you know a certain I guess it does it for some people (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a dynamic (laughs) Mm -hmm. it is a dynamic and so we've got a conclusion I guess to Lorelai's storyline kind of in this episode we also get a conclusion next for Rory Mm -hmm. which is just a nice quiet scene back at lunch at Chilton. Rory goes back to sitting at the at the table with her Walkman and a book and then that girl that you pointed out comes and sits comes and sits across from her (laughs) like she doesn't say anything she just pulls out a book as well and you know Mm -hmm. it's just all is right in the world. (laughs) I know. I almost made this my gazebo moment as well because I thought it was so lovely. And that's what, you know, earlier I said socialization takes a lot of forms. And this is what made me think about that because, like, they're having companionship in this moment, you know, like they're there together doing something they both like. Like, Rory smiles and, like, that's, you know, this is good for, this is a form of socializing too. And it's like, this just made me think it takes a lot of different forms. And I just found it so like heartwarming that it ends with these two like bookworms who are just, you know, coexisting happily, peacefully reading their books together. I'm like, that's the dream. Yeah. <laughs> My dream at least. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Mm. Just being able to be yourself in a situation I guess like not feel the pressure to perform or anything like that (laughs) that was the end sadly no Jess again um but it was a great episode I I thoroughly enjoyed it (laughs) yes so since we're at the end of course I will remind you to subscribe to us like us review us wherever you get your podcasts. We love it. (laughs) You can find us on Instagram and now TikTok. But since this is late, you could have found us on TikTok weeks ago. (laughs) But, um, and as usual, the last thing to say is to send us your gazebo moments to our email at talkingfastpodcasts at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Yeah, talk to you next week.